Well, let's remain standing for prayer, please. Father, we do have so much for which to be thankful these days, and what a good reminder in song of the great plan of salvation, just the, the marvelous love, your great kindness, and your unbelievable plan of sending Christ to substitute into our place, that our sin can be forgiven, that we can be identified with Christ, we can be part of your church. And Father, as your church, we want to live out your will. We want to stand out in this world as distinct and Christ-centered. What a caustic and ugly world in which we live these days. And so as we study the word today and as we receive the challenge uh, from your text, may, it, may our hearts be tender. May our, our, our heart desire be to live out the claims of Christ and to be notably different than the world around us because of all that you've done for us in Christ. It's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I thought it would be good for us this morning to begin with a story, and it's a Bible story. I don't know if any of you grew up in the days of flannel graph. I did. Mostly my teacher was my mother. You know what flannel graph is? These cut out paper pictures that had some kind of like um, pre-Velcro, Velcro on the back of it, and then it stuck to flannel. And uh, mom would stick these pictures up on the board. And we would sit there in Sunday school and look at them, and our minds would imagine the story of the day. So what I want you to do, I want you to get in your mind a story here from Acts chapter 16. You don't even have to turn there. Let me just read part of it to you. I want you to realize what was happening here in the lives of the apostles. It was Paul and Silas. It's a most remarkable story. It goes like this. It's Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. As they were going to the place of prayer, we were met, so this is Luke describing this, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And she brought her owners much gain, much financial gain, by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, now watch this, this is interesting. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) it irritated the Apostle Paul that every day as they walked to prayer, this young girl who was being trafficked by these wicked men to do soothsaying and divination for money would cry out and proclaim that they were servants of God. She was telling the truth. Paul, it says, having become greatly annoyed, turned and he spoke to the spirit. She was evidently demon-possessed. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city they advocate customs they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as romans to accept or practice so they pull the race card they're in philippi they're romans these are jews we hate jews they've only done good they have cast a demon out of a pitiful young girl who's being abused by wicked men The magistrates then, it says, the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. 
And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, the jailer put them into the innermost prison, fastened their feet in stocks. It's an incredible scene. They haven't done anything wrong. In fact, they have only done good. And they are suffering for doing good. They have had their clothes ripped off. They have been beaten with rods. Now their feet are locked in stocks. I take it that they're bruised, battered, maybe, maybe bleeding around their head, maybe bleeding off their backs. Notice what the next verse says. About midnight, deep in this dark dungeon, no doubt very dark, very damp, very dirty place, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I would have loved to have heard that. Imagine the rattling of chains and the cursing and the groaning and the other uncomely sounds and noises that men make. And all of a sudden... There's a voice. Now, I don't know if Paul or Silas elbowed the other guy and said, uh, hey, let, let's do how great thou art right now. <laughs> or I don't know if one of them just began to sing a psalm. No doubt they sang out of the psalms. Uh, no doubt by this time in the early church, they had established a, a hymnody that they enjoyed, just like we have hymns that we've sung today. And deep in the, pit, in the prison, deep in the dark of night, these two men began to sing and praise God. And it says, and the prisoners listened to them. I would say that that was a powerful testimony. Powerful. In fact, the story doesn't end there. There was an earthquake. Do you remember the rest of the story? There was an earthquake. It was such a strong earthquake that it broke up the prison, broke the chains and the shackles. The prisoners were all able to run, and, and the Philippian jailer who was charged with his very life for watching over these prisoners was ready to fall on his sword because he thought they were going to get away. Paul and Silas immediately assure him, no, they're all here. They end up in his kitchen with the jailkeeper tending to their wounds, sharing Christ, leading his entire family to Christ, and baptizing them. And I would say that all of that had very much to do with the fact that at midnight, they were praising God and thanking God with hymns in the dark of night, beaten to a pulp. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty impressed with that. Now, you might say, now, Pastor Van, um, those were the mighty apostles. Those were the days, you know, they were the real gospel gunslingers. We're just, you know, we're just little Christians. Well, will you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? And what I want us to do today, which is the first of two parts, I want us to be challenged this Thanksgiving season with a couple of core values for the church and the first is this it is that God's people are to be grateful people God's people are to be grateful people it is to be 
a core value of the church that we are characterized with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. I think it's an appropriate reminder this Thanksgiving week, but it's, it's just uh, also sets itself up well that we continually need reminded of the basics of the Christian life, don't we? And so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, who was in that prison uh, sometime later, has written a letter to the church at Thessalonica. It's an interesting letter. He has dealt with a number of interesting topics. The main topic that Paul has dealt with in 1 Thessalonians is to answer the church's disturbing question, which was, has the Lord already returned and have we missed it? And the fact of the matter was they had not missed the Lord's return and the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians writes to assure them they have not missed the Lord's return. He gives them markers of the Lord's return. That's that classic passage, in, familiar passage in chapter 4 where he says, look, when it happens, when the Lord returns, the dead in Christ are going to rise first and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he, then he says, and comfort one another with these words. And at the end of the letter, as he's wrapping up, it's almost like he's running out of parchment space because he can, it's almost like he begins to write in small little letters and small little sentences around the margin of the bottom of his parchment. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but when we get to chapter 5, he begins like bullet pointing off a number of items about the Christian life that he wanted to remind the believers and notice that he's not asking them to do anything he hasn't already lived out. It was Paul and Silas in that prison praising God, giving thanks to God for his goodness in the middle of the night. Let's pick it up with verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 5. This is our basic text today, and we want to frame, use it as a framework for our thoughts. It begins in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, speaking to the believers in the church, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See these little short statements? Do this, do this, do this. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. There's a good reminder, isn't it? See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then he says, rejoice always. Verse 16, two words, rejoice always. And then verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. And then in verse 18, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. And then he wraps it up. And I take it it's this triad of 16, 17, and 18. 16, rejoice always. 17, pray without ceasing. 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I think that the modifying phrase there of this is the will of God is directly related back to that list of three points that he's just made. And notice how they are tied together with the verb action. It is an ongoing, all the time kind of action. Notice what it says. Rejoice, say the word with me. Rejoice always. So as we look at our notes, number one, we want to recognize that the Christian life is to be characterized by ongoing and continual, number one, joy. Rejoice always. I've been in the medical world a lot lately, and there's a word that they use that came to my mind about this. It's almost always used in the negative. 
systemic. Systemic. It means that it has permeated throughout the entire system. And if it's disease or if it's infection and it's systemic, it's a very, very serious thing. The idea here of systemic in the church would be we are to have, be characterized by systemic joy. It is to, to be throughout the system. That's why I'm calling it a core value today. At the core of our value system is the reality that we are a grateful people. Now, I don't have to remind you, do I, that we live in a world that is absolutely ungrateful. In fact, Paul reminded us in in 2 Timothy that one of the marks of an end-time young person is that they would be ungrateful. Spoiled, rotten, mouthy, arrogant, ungrateful. We live in a world of caustic speech. We world a world of one-upmanship, of putting down. You talk, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. But God's people are to be characteristically, systemically, at the core of their value system, defined absolutely different than the rest of the world. And it is to be, one thing Paul says, characterized by joy. Look at what he said. Rejoice always. There's that verb, ongoing joy. Secondly, pray. There it is. Without what? Without ceasing. So it's ongoing. So each of these commands, these short little pithy bullet point commands, are these ongoing things. Always be joyful. Always be praying. And then you say, and it's not our topic today. It's an interesting topic of prayer. How do you pray always? I've got to drive. I've got to work. I've got to look at my computer screen. I've got to do things. It made me think of when I was a little boy, and we kind of do this still because my dad did it. We would be heading out the driveway, maybe heading up to my grandpa's farm for a long trip or something, and my dad would look at my mom and tell us to shush in the back seat, and he would say, quiet, you guys, mommy's going to pray. Well, we were already heading down the road, and my dad is driving. But my mom would bow her head and fold her hands and pray, and I would kind of watch my dad. I wanted to see if he closed his eyes or not. <laughs> well, we were praying as we go. And that's the idea. It's an as we go, we continually are thinking about the, an awareness of the presence of my Heavenly Father in our lives. Yesterday morning, I went home from the church after an elders meeting here, and I, my house was empty, except I had left the basement door open for, for Clint, the plumber, to come in, and he's working on replumbing my wood stove. I have to get a new wood stove this year, and, and it's an outdoor burner, and it plumbed water into the house. And so Clint was downstairs working. The house was empty. Everybody else was gone. I sat at the kitchen table to work on this outline and finish up my thoughts for today. And every once in a while, I could hear this talking going on. It's like down in the end of the basement, I could hear... And then down below me, I could hear... Clint was talking to himself. He's just down there working, mumbling and talking, and can't you hear him? And he's talking to himself all the time. Just, he, was, he was just talking, just working through his thoughts. I thought, I was, I was thinking about this. That's a little, why don't we just kind of just talk to God? Right? We're just kind of talking. Here we go, Lord. Lord, give me wisdom. I really don't know what to do about this situation. You know, I just think that, that we would live with this continual awareness of the watchful eye of our Heavenly Father, and we would just be communing, right? And you can groom that in your life. 
It's not an eyes closed, on your knees, back in intercessory prayer time. It is just this ongoing conversational thought process of in prayer with my Heavenly Father. Pray continually. Pray continually. When do you not need prayer? When do you not need prayer? So pray continually. And so then to the point, he says, you need to be characterized by gratitude. So we're characterized by ongoing and continual systemic core value of joy, prayer, and gratitude. Number three, gratitude. Look what he says. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and then here it is. Give thanks in, what's the next word? All circumstances. So you see how they all have the continuing verb form? Do this all the time, all the time, all the time. And then he ties it together with that concluding phrase, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You are to just be doing these things. So you want to know God's will? Pastor Everett reminded us of some important truths last week about knowing God's will. Here it is as well. You want to know God's will? This is the will of God that you be characterized systemically by these three dynamics. Now let's build on this idea of being grateful. It's Thanksgiving week. Our minds are turning towards our traditions of of hunting and turkey and Thanksgiving or ham or whatever it is, and your family gathering and you're feasting and you're traveling and you're looking forward to your days off. And it occurs to me that that we engage more in our traditions than we really do in, in meaningful gratitude. And so the challenge for us is that that we would remind ourselves of just being a grateful people. So let's do this by locking on to that verse 18. And let's begin by recognizing in three ways of understanding what the Apostle Paul is teaching here by understanding what it is not. Sometimes by knowing what something is not, we can know better what it is. And so look what he says. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The first thing I want you to see is that as he teaches this in this ongoing manner, it is not seasonal, but it is continual. He's not talking about a holiday on the calendar of giving thanks. It is not seasonal. It is continual. Notice what he says. Give thanks in all circumstances. So it's ongoing. Now, a lot of people like to point at the passage, and they like to say, I'm really glad that it says to not be thankful for the circumstance, but within the circumstance be thankful. And you can kind of understand that. But let me remind you that in Ephesians 5.20, he does say there specifically, be thankful for all things. Wow. And you say, so what do we do? How do we be thankful for everything? I have many things in my life I'm not thankful for. And so we do need to understand, don't we, that we're not talking about the disgrace of sin. We're not talking about the damage of sinful decision-making. Not going to be thankful for some disgraceful, sinful thing that's going on in the life of my young person. I'm not thankful for that. I hate that. But I am thankful that I have a heavenly father who knows all things and who will sustain me through this. So this is not an easy concept. And I don't think Paul is being so literal here that, you know, it's a, I have a flat tire and I'm standing in the rain and I almost got hit by a tractor trailer. Thank you, Lord. This is so good. No, it's not good at all. 
But if it wasn't my negligence or stupid or sinful behavior that got the flat tire, and I can't help these circumstances, within all of that and for all of this, I am thankful that I have a heavenly Father who, Romans 8.28 says, will work all things together for my good. And I am thankful. I have a sovereign heavenly Father who doesn't miss a beat about my whole life that my days are numbered and every hair in my head is known to him and that everything about me is known to him and that he is absolutely trustworthy. And not only that, I have a clean conscience and I've had a new beginning and I've been to the cross and I'm seated in the heavenlies in Christ and I'm identified with Christ and I have the power of Christ in me and I'm not like everybody else and God is at work in me and he's growing me and he's grooming me and he's building me and I am thankful. I have so much for which to be thankful. So yes, it's, diff- it's difficult to discern how life can press in on us, but the call here is that it be a core value of the believer. It be systemic joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving within us. I want you to see that this isn't a new concept in the Bible. We have case studies in the Old Testament we could look at, but instead of doing that, let's just go to the Psalms real quick. It'll only take a minute, and let's thumb through the Psalms, and let's remind ourselves that God's people are thankful people. And this is reflected in the Psalms. God's people are thankful people. Now, the Psalms were their songbook. It was a book of songs. And it would be like taking our hymnal and taking white out and whiting out all the notes and all the bars and staff and just having the words and studying the hymnal. So when you read the Psalms, that's what you're doing. You're studying a hymnal. Now, it was authored under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mostly by David, And I want you to recall that even as David talks a lot about rejoicing and being thankful in the Psalms, that much of his life was ugly. He's like, oh, Saul just threw his spear at me. Thank you, Lord. No, he was under great oppression. He had many difficulties. And yet we see in the Psalms and as God's people worshiped, as God's people sang, and as they praised the Lord, and it's very likely that Paul and Silas sang from this songbook in prison that night. 6930, take a look. 6930, look what it says. And I'm just sampling among dozens. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with, what's the next word? I will magnify him with thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Psalm 100 is a wonderful psalm, verses 1 through 5. Look what it says. Psalm 100, 1 through 5. Take a look. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing, knowing that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. We are his. We are, the, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with, say it, enter his gates with thanksgiving. There it is. We are to be characterized as people of gratitude and thanksgiving. Notice Psalm 105, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wonderful works. Look how it starts. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Notice what he says in 107. Turn the page. It's nearby. 107.1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And when is God not good? He's always good. So give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his steadfast love. It endures how long? Forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and so forth. Look at verse 8. 
Verse 8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. So there it is. And it goes on and on and on. And it is woven throughout the fabric of the Old Testament as God dealt with his people and as God dealt with Israel and as God preserved scripture for us. You see the themes of thankfulness coming through and no more clearly than in the Psalms. We are to be a grateful, thankful people who praise him. So the first thing I want us to recognize in our mind is that this core value of gratitude it is not seasonal it's not on the calendar but it is continual secondly as we return to first thessalonians 5 i think this is a very important emphasis here we have to recognize that it is not circumstantial but it is intentional or you might say volitional it is a willful decision of intention that i will be a grateful person it is above the circumstances listen if you're going to depend on circumstances for your joy just mark it down you're going to be a pretty unhappy person because they can't even hold a 20-point lead in halftime and you're just going to continually be shipwrecked over all the circumstances that never go the way they're supposed to go and know this the wheels will come off sooner or later you see we we forget that we live in a sin-cursed world. And we always think that if we really work hard, clean the garage, mind our manners, be really good to mama, that by next Thursday, everything's going to be really good in my life. I want to tell you something. Next Thursday, the wheels are going to come off on something else. We live in a world where under the sun, it is a burden. And it is difficult. And it is in that context that God calls for his people, even at midnight, locked in stocks down in the center of the dirty dungeon musty prison that we would be characterized by systemic praise and worship and joy and gratitude it's not an easy thing and circumstances are what we are all so clued in on somebody scratched my car of course they scratch your car it's out in a parking lot i don't like my you know it doesn't matter it's never gonna end it's never gonna end Every day, over and over and over, the circumstances will implode upon you. Our problem is we just fight that and we resist it and it makes us mad and we're frustrated and we're angry and and we're resistant instead of, Father, I don't know what you're doing today, but you will work this out together for my good, won't you? Father, I'm going to trust in you today and I'm not going to be afraid and I thank you for watching over me today. Whatever. And so it's not circumstantial, but it is intentional. Notice that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, in all circumstances. He doesn't give exception. He doesn't give exception. I thought it might be worthwhile to remind ourselves of a case study from the Old Testament right here in Numbers chapter 11. It's a really interesting story. Numbers chapter 11, way back in the Pentateuch, and where we are in context here in this part of our Bible is, remember the children of Israel had left Egypt under Moses' leadership. There's about... Oh, three to five million of them probably. There's at least, in the passage here, it says there's over 600,000 men, mature men. So if there's over 600,000 mature men, women, children, then he calls them rabble here, all of the non-Israelites that traveled with them, you got a big group of people. They are one year into the wilderness out of Egypt after Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. They've now been in the wilderness for a year. Life has not been easy. And they're hungry again. And in Numbers chapter 11, what do they do when they're hungry? 
Moms, what do the kids do? What do the dads do when they're hungry? They grumble. They grumble. And here's what I want us to do right now for just a minute. I want us to remind ourselves of how precarious circumstantial joy really is. I want you to realize how important it is, this attitude of thanksgiving and joy and gratitude being a core value, being systemic in us. Notice God's response when they are not happy with how he has chosen to provide for them. Look what it says in chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. So the people ran to Moses. Moses interceded and God shut off the fire. Who said? The people complained about their circumstances And it made it to the ear of God. And so he torches the camp. In his mercy, he just touches the outsides of the camp. I think it was a visual for him. People died in it. Tents were destroyed. Property was consumed because of their grumbling words. And the first thing I want to warn us about, about circumstantial joy, is you better guard your words. You better guard your words. By the way... An indicator of your joy being circumstantial is always given away just by listening to yourself. Just listen to yourself. So like the other week when I was convalescing on the couch, you know, and kind of hurting, and Janet looked at me and said, why are you so grouchy right now and mean? (laughs) Because I don't feel good. Listen to your words. Your words will always be the telltale sign of whether your joy is circumstantial. You don't like what's going on, and so you're mouthing off about it. You're griping about it. You're complaining about it. And then God says, it hits my ears. I don't like it. He lights the camp on fire. It was funny. Yesterday, my nephew Zach came by the house, and I had created a big old crock pot all night long of two big old pork loins because I made a whole bunch of pulled pork to take to deer camp. I'm very pleased that I get to go deer hunting. See, it all works. <laughs> Can't lift anything and it hurts down here, but this works. And so I made a big old crock pot full of pork, pulled pork. And Zach came in the house and I made a quick sandwich and he leaned over the sink and he was chomping away at my pulled pork sandwich and he said, you know, in moments like this, I'm always happy that I'm under the new covenant. It means you can eat pork. (laughs) And when I read Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, I'm really glad I'm under the new covenant or the Mars house probably would have been torched a long time ago. Under the new covenant, I have an umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ covering my life. And so when I disgrace him with my complaining circumstantial joy and I give myself away that I'm dependent on the circumstances because of my mumbling and my groaning and my moaning and my bitter words, the fire of the Lord comes down and the umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ protects my home and protects me. And he gives me a little more grace so that I wake up and I say, Lord, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, would you please forgive me for this horrible attitude? It's a wonderful thing to be under the new covenant. Amen? And I agree with you too, Zach, about pork. (laughs) So not only do we guard our words, but we guard our hearts. 
Notice what they said there. Now the rabble, verse 4 of Numbers 11, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, rabble, in, in, uh, translated in the ESV, rabble, uh, some, it literally means collection, a mixed multitude. It probably represents numbers of people who traveled out of Egypt or from other nations who identified with Israel and were part of it. And it says they had a strong craving. Evidently, their appetites were strong. And the people of Israel also wept again. Okay, so the fire died down, and then they start to complain again. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt, and, and that cost nothing. And the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So what do they do? Are you kidding me? They were in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. They were abused. They were beaten. And they're longing for the food. That's like saying, I really want to go back to Eastern Regional Jail because the food was really good. (laughs) Are you kidding me? What's the deal? Their hearts are wrong. So the wrong heart attitude here. Instead of surrendering to the circumstances underneath the care of their Heavenly Father, they're fighting it. And they're longing to go back to the old ways. I was better off before Christ the way this has been. I don't like this home. I don't like this family. I don't like these kids. I don't like this job. Are you kidding me? All of this is part of God's provision, and your hard attitude is so hard and wrong that you're missing the point of God's blessing, which is number three, see God's hand, see God's hand. Notice what it says at the end of verse six, but this manna to look at, now verse seven, now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of delium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. I take it with like without sugar, frosting, just plain old blah. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. And here's what they did. They scooped up that manna, and they loathed it. And it was God's provision for that day. They loathed the very provision of their loving Heavenly Father because it just wasn't the way they wanted it to be. You ever do that? You ever open a closet that's so full of clothes you can't handle more clothes? And I don't have any clothes. And you open up a refrigerator that can't hold any more food and there's nothing to eat in this house. Are you kidding me? Your heavenly father has abundantly provided. Well, it's not what I want. Hmm. So what did they want? They wanted meat to eat. We want meat. And so God hears their grumbling. Notice what it says. And Moses hears them weeping, verse 10. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. God gives him some more leadership team help, but let your eyes go to verse 19, and God says, all right, you're going to moan and complain about my daily provision and about you're going to be ingrates and you're going to be ungrateful. And look at verse 19. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Your hard attitude is so bad that you're, you wish you were somewhere else rather than within the will of God because you're sick of manna. You're sick of God's daily bread provision, whatever it is you're sick of. 
I want some meat. And so look at what happens in verse 31. Then the wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and it let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other. So in other words, this huge flock of quail comes and settles in around the camp. And if you left the camp of the Israelites and walked a day's journey that way and you walked a day's journey the other way, you would be walking among all these quail that landed and evidently either some kind of molt or God just did it. They were, li- they were sitting on the ground. All these quail. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. For day and night they just gathered and they gathered. And the least among them gathered ten homers, which is a whole lot. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. And while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of the place was called Kibroth Hadavah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. There's quotes around that, the craving. The craving. That which God hasn't seen fit to give me, but I crave it. You want it? I'll give it to you, God said, until it comes out your stinking nose. Raise your hand if you're glad you're under the new covenant today. And that that kind of sinful attitude can be transferred unto Christ on the cross and his righteousness is credited to my account. And our heavenly father, the judge of heaven, views me and when he sees me, he sees me robed in the righteousness of Christ. If I'm born again, praise God. Otherwise, like I said, the Marceau camp would have burned a long time ago. Just a reminder that our joy is not circumstantial. It is intentional. Thirdly, I want you to see then back in 1 Thessalonians 5, as we wrap up, that it is not emotional, but it is spiritual, okay? So as the Apostle Paul says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. He's saying to the church, it is to be systemic. It is to be a core value that you are grateful people standing in contrast to the rest of the people in the dark dungeon at midnight of the world. You're singing hymns, and they are moaning and groaning. But a core value for us is this attitude of thanksgiving. And it is not seasonal, but it is continual. It is not circumstantial, but it is volitional and intentional. And it is not emotional, but it is spiritual. We're not talking about a feeling here even. We're not talking about, this makes me feel so good. (laughs) You ever realize how really, really, how inconsequential your feelings really are? It doesn't really matter if it makes you feel happy or sad. That has almost nothing to do with reality. But I just love it when it all works out and we win the game. Who cares? You know what? Many games aren't going to be won. Many times you're going to be out there in the rain with a flat tire and it didn't have anything to do with you. And he says, look, This joy, this gratitude, this thankfulness is a spiritual reality. This is the will of God, he says. This is the will of God. This is a spiritual work that God is doing within you. Let's quickly just document this in the book of Colossians, for example. We could 
looking throughout our New Testament. But in Colossians, the Apostle Paul clearly shows us as he gives instruction about our great salvation in Christ that's springing out of the, the doctrinal, theological reality of who I am in Christ is the design in me to become a grateful person. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you have come to the cross, you've laid down your sinfulness, you've received the righteousness of Christ, you have come to Christ. And he says, so you have come and you have received Christ. Now what he says next, so walk in him, walk in him, live it out. It's not a ticket to heaven in your hip pocket so you can do whatever you want now and still squeak into heaven. No, it is total transformation of heart, mind, and attitude in life. And you are now walking in a whole new way. You're living it out, rooted and built up in him. Who's him? That's Christ. You are rooted and built up in Christ, established in your faith, strong and foundational on these doctrinal truths of who you are in Christ, just as you were taught and what? Abounding in thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? As you are born again, received Christ, walking in Christ, rooted in Christ, you are now responding with a grateful attitude and spirit. Notice what he says in 3, 15 through 17. And this is not exhaustive in Colossians. This is just three samples of about five or six. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ, no, back up 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be, what's the next word? Thankful. You were called as a body to have as a core value gratitude. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ, verse 16, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What's the next phrase? With thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Wow. And whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's the next two words, giving thanks. It's because of who we are in Christ. And we're his church. And he started a new work in us. I'm no longer, once I've been to the Christ, hardwired like the rest of the world. So my speech and my attitudes and my temper and my outlook should look nothing like the rest of the world. I'm to be thankful. And look what it says in 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. There's that reminder. Pray without ceasing. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Reminds you of Philippians 4.4, doesn't it? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto god you know i in no way want to minimize the burden under which some of you live i understand that there are difficult burdens to be borne i understand that there are problems that are overwhelming and i'm not saying that that doesn't sap your strength and drain you emotionally but I am calling for myself as your pastor, calling for our church, calling for us as believers in the Lord Christ, that we would be defined by systemic attitudes of thanksgiving. 
There it is. And so we remind ourselves that the core value of gratitude is based upon spiritual reality. It's based upon spiritual reality. It is not circumstances. This is not emotion. It is not seasonal. It is a spiritual reality that drives my life, that I have a sovereign heavenly father who oversees my life. I have a wonderful Lord Jesus who has substituted into my place. I have a whole lot of spiritual things going on in my life that don't always meet the surface. And as a result of that, I chug along with this like joy. It's not like I sometimes got to get the smile off my face. God, you've been good to us. Secondly, I've been reminded lately as I've observed some people around me and even observed myself that the core value of gratitude is a sign of spiritual maturity. It's based on spiritual reality and it is a sign of spiritual maturity. And so you have to run a little test in yourself right now, a little diagnostic session here. The other week, my car wasn't running right. I thought it was my alternator. It was acting funny. But an easy thing to do was to pull the battery out and run it down to the auto parts store and let them put their diagnostic tester machine on there and make sure that my battery was okay. Just kind of make sure I knew that was right. Puts the clips on there, holds his machine. It prints out a little piece of paper. He looked at me and said, sir, it's a good battery. He diagnosed it, he tested it, it was all good. Let's clip on to the diagnostic machine here for a minute. Think about your own words. Think about your own mind and heart and attitude lately. Are you a complainer? Are you a whiner? Are you continually dissatisfied? Are you regularly complaining to and about the people around you? Have you been listening to your words? If you're not coming out well on the diagnostic test, know this, you are not spiritually mature. You can say anything you want to about yourself, but it's not true, and your words will always give you away. So it's, to, it's not based on feelings. It's not based on circumstances. It is based on who I am in Christ and all of the promises of my Heavenly Father, and it is a sign of maturity as I embrace that and receive it and live it out in my life. And so in conclusion, let me remind you that to be ungrateful is to show dissatisfaction with God's plan of blessing for your life. And based upon our case study in Numbers 11, that's pretty serious. No more grumbling, huh? No more complaining. Oh, well, we'll be working at it, won't we? I long for Fellowship Bible Church to have this kind of pastor, to be characterized by this kind of people, and in many ways we are. What a, what a testimony Paul and Silas had at midnight in the darkness as their spirit of rejoicing came through. Listen, it's a dark dungeon all around us, isn't it? And when people encounter the body life at Fellowship Bible Church, may it be characterized by people of gratitude. And it turns the lights on. What a testimony we can be. Will you stand with me, please? So it's possible that we need to just be quiet for a minute and you need to just ask God to forgive you. Ask him to give you a renewed sense 
of his goodness in Christ and in all of his character and in all of his promises. Ask him for the strength to begin to mature in this area of your life and your spiritual walk. So, Father, together we would say that we are so sorry for our many failures in this way, and we ask for your forgiveness, and we rejoice in being part of the new covenant in Christ and the umbrella of his grace over us, and that we can cast down these burdens and we can ask for your strength as Christ lives in us, both corporately as a body, church, and and in us individually, that the joy of Christ would be ours and that the core value of gratitude would be clearly seen in this place and in our homes and in our lives. It's our prayer in Jesus' name.